0: Welcome back to week four of our study of Jonah. Last week, the study of the rebellious prophet who fed from God took a rather bizarre turn. After being thrown overboard by the God-fearing pagan soldiers, Jonah sank to the depths of the sea. Right at death's door, he cried out to God and was swallowed by a large fish. In the bowels of this beast, instead of freaking out, which is exactly what I would have done, Jonah gives a beautiful monologue a poetic prayer of thanksgiving that is all completely in line with people doing the unexpected in the story so far. So Jonah declares that God is a graceful God of deliverance and he promises to do all this thanksgiving stuff like throwing feasts and sharing his testimony of how good God is. All the belly aching actually gives the whale a bellyache and he vomits Jonah onto dry land. And that's where the story picks up. Then the word of the Lord came a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Now, my daughter Noah Kate is 18 months old. Crazy how time has flown. It feels like I was just pregnant with her. But alas, she's growing into the most compassionate, smart, loving little human. And she's just such a testament to God's good and perfect work. I love that little girl. She also has a lot of her mama in her, but more so just human nature qualities. For example, Noah Kate spends most of her time at home attempting to play with our dog, Denver. Denver is, God bless him, very tolerable of Noah Kate's antics, but he does draw the line at her attempting to dress him. He's not a fan and Noah Kate can be a bit forceful. Inevitably, most days I'm getting her to apologize to Denver. On this one particular day, she did not, however, believe that one, she needed to apologize or two, that she needed to listen to her mother. And after a lot of back and forth, she realized that the only way she could get what she wanted is if she apologized to the dog. Begrudgingly, she dragged her feet up to him, half-heartedly patted him and mumbled the words, sorry and good boy. Jonah's reaction to God's order is pretty much the same half-hearted response I got from Noah Kate that day. He did it but on his terms. I can only imagine how fuming Jonah was. He already doesn't want to go to Nineveh and talk to the Ninevites, but he goes because when he was in the belly of the fish, he made all these promises and proclamations and now God is waiting for him to obey. God is giving Jonah a second chance. Imagine Jonah's utter frustration when he gets to the gates of Nineveh and sees a massive city. Nineveh was an ancient Assyrian city located on the outskirts of Mussolin, modern-day northern Iraq. It is located on the eastern bank of the Tigris River and was the capital and largest city of the Near Assyrian Empire, as well as the largest city in the world for approximately 50 years. Nineveh was considered an evil city because of their practices during war and the reputation they had gained plundering the wealth and violently murdering people of the cities they conquered. Nineveh was a big city. How big? We don't know exactly, but we do know that the city was roughly an eight-mile circumference. Although it's possible that it could take three days for the prophet to cover the city, it is also it could also take him three days of red tape, if you will, for Jonah to get his message to the people that needed to hear it and could do something about it. In a major city, a prophet would have had to travel to various sections speaking to different crowds over a period of time. Nineveh's population and importance made it necessary for Jonah to preach there for at least three days to be sure that God's message had been really heard by the bulk of the populace. God expects his people to carry out the mission assignment he gives to each of us. Either way, on the first day into the city, Jonah proclaims, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. This sermon, if we if we could be as generous as to call it that, was precisely five words in Hebrew. Jonah's message was of impending doom, not a call to believe in the God of Israel. The terseness of the prophet's words tells us a lot about his attitude. He went as far as he felt like it before he went as far as he felt like it before preaching and then only preached five words. His heart did not appear to be in it. He was not trying to stir up a revival in Nineveh. Firstly, he didn't tell the Ninevites what they had done wrong or how they should respond. He didn't even mention who would overturn them. And the most noticeably, there's no mention of God. The Hebrew word for overthrown describes the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19.25. It is possible that Jonah expected God to destroy Nineveh as he had overthrown Sodom and Gomorrah. The basic simplicity of Jonah's message contrasts with the greatness of Nineveh. The word of God is able to change even a complex and sophisticated urban population, which is not the outcome the prophet preferred. It would appear that he's intentionally leaving out information to ensure the destruction of Nineveh. Whatever his intentions, his plans didn't work. I imagine that once Jonah had declared this doom of the city, he stomped his way out of the gates to await the enemy's demise. What Jonah did not not prepare for was the city and all of its inhabitants would repent. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Just like the sailors, the evil pagan Ninevites are adhering to God's word, doing the complete opposite of what we would expect them to do. Five words was all it took for the entire city and every one of its inhabitants to be dressed in sackcloth and fast. I imagine cows, donkeys, and other livestock covered in morning cloth, fasting for the Lord. Who knows, said the king, God may yet relent with the compa- God may yet relent with compassion, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. In that moment, the king of Nineveh had a better understanding of who God is than God's own prophet. Nineveh was known as a religious city with temples to many gods. But in this instant, the people of Nineveh turned their backs on all their national gods and personal gods and turned to the God of Israel who created the heavens and the earth. They recognized God's power and believed he would carry out the threats he made through Jonah. The citizens of Nineveh demonstrated their faith in concrete ways. Even the king joined the greatest in putting on mourning garments. The king of Nineveh would be the king of the entire Assyrian empire, one of the most powerful men on earth. Unintentionally, Jonah sparked one of the greatest spiritual revivals in history. The king issued a proclamation, literally caused a cry for help to go out. A national state of emergency, if you will. We can all recount how just a little over a year ago, there was an international state of emergency. Shelter in place orders were in effect. Everything came to a sudden halt. That's exactly what happens here. The king credited God with the power to change things. If Assyria did not repent, then there was no chance of survival. So the people repented and God being a God of second chances, he changed the plans when the people changed their ways. No judgment for Nineveh, no destruction. I don't believe God ever intended to destroy Nineveh in the first place. God is not surprised what we as humans do. So he knew Nineveh would repent in the way that they did. The repentance of Nineveh was genuine. From the king down to the livestock, all mourned their actions and had deserved, that had deserved God's wrath, and they repented with genuine hearts. God is generous in his love for the world and can turn back from his decision to destroy a people when they repent and obey him. God's word is a message on a mission. When the world accomplished its mission so that the people respond in a way that God desires, then he does not consider himself bound to carry out that word. That God should choose to make his own actions contingent, at least in part, upon human actions is no limitation on his sovereignty. Having first decided to place the option of obedience and disobedience before nations, his holding them responsible for their actions automatically involves a sort of contingency. He promises blessing if they repent, punishment in, if not in Jeremiah 18. But this hardly makes God dependent on the nations. It rather makes them dependent on him, as is the point of the lesson at the potter's house in Jeremiah 18, 1 through 11. And the point of the morning decree in Jonah 3, 5 through 9. God holds all the right, all the power, and all the authority, Jonah's ministry was effective because, Jonah's ministry was effective because God blessed it, not because of Jonah's cleverness or creativity. Remember, Jonah was no model prophet. He was reluctant to go to these people and later we will see that his heart never truly loved them. Additionally, Jonah's message was short and offensive. The prophet offers a few words of warning and there's no other accounts of his ministry in that city. However, in terms of response, he is one of the most effective ministers in the Bible. We cannot draw any other conclusion from Jonah's ministry than his effectiveness had more to do with God than with Jonah. In the same way, success in our personal ministry to others does not depend on our ability, attractiveness, or eloquence. The greatest factor in the success of our personal ministry is the favor of God. In everything you do, Instead of asking God to make you better, ask him to place his favor on you. And that's where this week's teaching leaves us. But what about Jonah? You'll have to wait till next week.